In this episode, Ryan and I discuss your comments on episode 63. Thank you for making them. And then we go deep into our financial philosophy, and we had fun doing it. So brace yourself. Welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. And I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs. Here we are on a beautiful Saturday morning, September 12th. Um, you know, deep underground in an undisclosed location, springing forth the truth of the infinite banking concept and becoming your own banker, yep. having fun doing it. And, and quite frankly, you know, again, we're unprepared. <laughs> <laughs> we are fully prepared. Um, uh, no, listen, not- Mr. Griggs shows up this morning and says, hey, James, what do you want to talk about? And I'm like, Ryan, I don't, you know, I don't know. Well, the nice thing is we had to see this is the problem. We, we do a, a good episode that we had last time where we discussed some illicit sales practices in the infinite banking world uh, and had some really great feedback that I wanted to point out. And I think that's a good place to start. You know, it's a great place some- to start. And and you listen to some kind of stuff on the way down, you mentioned. Yeah. You know, why do you do that? He listens to uh, content in the big wide world that talks all about being an expert in the infinite banking footprint. Honestly, it's to just get me a little triggered. You know, a little little emotional engagement never hurt. And well, heck, I can do that. I don't need any help. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. But so it's nice to know that other people are um, developing their own way of talking about and thinking about life insurance according to what we're putting out there which is yeah know, well which means and okay. we, we know we've said it um time and time again a lot of these people wouldn't have any content if they didn't have us to rebut <laughs> you know if they didn't listen to my content our content and then put their own spin on it right yeah. so it's the unseen hand of the free market right we can't we're unintentionally helping other people you know become wealthy What's wrong with that? Nothing. Nothing. That's just an example. And it's like you had no intentions of doing it, and it happens. So, yeah. Okay, so. So Manny says. Manny, I love w- you, Manny. Wife and I waiting on James to grow his beard. Yeah. Ryan, the beard looks clean. Thank you very much. Props to the barber. This is not the barber's work. I did this, so, but I appreciate that. Um, so <laughs> thank you, Manny. Manny, we're waiting for you to grow your beard, sir. <laughs> okay. Uh, Bob. I mean, what a what a. Well, let's give a little to, background to yeah. that. I don't know what the number of the episode was last week that was released. May have been sixty three. Okay, so in that particular episode, and you'll want to search it out because the these comments this episode will give you, you know, yeah. a bit more of a background and reference. So there was a, a gentleman that went was going through our process and. Um, in that process, you know, we're all surrounded by noise, right? And, and it, in the process of becoming your own banker, getting a policy in force, going through underwriting, it takes time, especially in this environment of um, the the pandemic, the corona hoax, you know, these... Uh, and, and let me say that for a moment. Let me say this for a moment. When you're applying for life insurance, it's medically underwritten if it's legitimate insurance, right? Because the life insurance companies don't want to pay the death benefit anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So they want to properly price life insurance. So you got to qualify for it medically, okay? Which requires a third-party exam, mm-hmm. right? They come to you, high weight blood, and all that. Well, there's only one major exam company nationwide, and it's owned by a uh, 
man, I don't want to use any names. Yeah, yeah. But a big, a big uh, medical facility that does a lot of testing, and they just happen to have these big billion-dollar contracts with the government to do all of these corona virus testing right now. Which one would pay more? That free government money that they're just throwing out to everybody, or you know, a, a, a competitively priced, the market priced expense of doing an exam for a life insurance company. All right, thanks for letting me go through all this. My point is, it takes a little bit of time to go through underwriting, and during that time, when somebody enters the process of becoming your own banker in underwriting, we're still surrounded by noise. You can't get it off of you, and here's an example of being, you know, kind of caught up in the noise. Yeah. So. And it's hard, like Nelson used to say, that the fish are the last to notice the water. And so if you're immersed in it and surrounded by it, it's hard to tell. It is. And so for, you know, we had, we did the episode for the individual, in regards to whom he was, his experience was the, uh, the the foundation of that episode for him to then go on that video and, and comment yeah. and say, hey, this was me, this happened. I mean, that's... Very courageous, Bob. Thank you. Yeah. Many props, a lot of respect. Because that was very courageous. Well, and we don't want to call out names or nothing. I don't. I mean, that, and so for him to just volunteer that is, um, yeah, that's reflective of a very high quality character. Yeah. Yes. And then we have. So you're going to leave it at that? You're just going to hang out? That's it? Well, I mean, what else is there? Oh, you want me to read his whole comment? No. Yeah. If we tell them the episode, if it's 63, you can go find that episode yeah. and look at the comments. Yeah. And they appreciate the style. You know, people have. And I, sometimes I think hey, that. Um, I love you, Manny. <laughs> sometimes people. I, I think that I project this onto myself in a way that we're like we're aggressive or overly um, too strong. You know, and we have pulled episodes that. <laughs> Probably should never have gone out. Well, the original recording when we addressed this issue or this topic is not going to be released in in its entirety because, you know, you got triggered, I got triggered. And, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm human, I'm, I'm fallible, I make mistakes, um, but I also can take correction and I have a little bit of discernment and wisdom and after listening to it, I'm like, no, that can't go out. Yeah. So we reshot it with a little bit more civility or calmness, you know, still passionate. But it may be, parts of it may be released in the future, but it will probably be released for client-only content in the future. Mm -hmm. You know, once these episodes are out and there's some reference, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's fair. Yeah. And it was good. There is good. I know you didn't want to have to reshoot it but um. no because i wanted to be clay shooting did i mention that in the remake i could i had an invitation to go to a benefit shooting clay shooting you know which i like to do and i yeah. didn't and which is probably part of my triggering <laughs> i don't know okay all right and then bill says uh he liked my comment about how the fee only guy would be better at predicting the future listen if you're an advisor and you adopt the arbitrary number approach where you know when the person's going to die, you know the tax rate that they're going to be taxed at when they go to take distributions later in life, you know what the inflation rate is going to be over the course of your lifetime, stop selling life insurance, stop charging fees, go predict the future. Just back the truck up to the stock market, right? Yeah. So yeah. Oh, no, no appreciate question. that being acknowledged. Um, yeah, wolf in sheep's clothing. Uh, wolf in sheep's clothing. And 
pointed out the, the importance and the power of discernment, and it's uh, Jordan. It's crucial. Yeah, Jordan, I love you, sir. Appreciate that. Great comments. Then there are a couple of agents that. Um, yeah, we got a guy, Lewis. He said I would personally report him, I and mean, I said it on the episode, and I kind of went over it quickly. But I'm just not in that no. type of framework. You know, we're, we're reporting it to the proper individuals, and those are that is the general public yeah, and the you. people that have interest in the infinite banking concept and the truth. That's who needs to know. Yeah, I mean the market, the market, the marketplace, the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I did kind of skip over this too in that previous episode, but you know the idea that. We're going to, not we, but that members of the financial advisory community are going to engage in these illicit uh, suspect financial arrangements with other, quote unquote, fee only and all the games that are getting played, that we're going to do that. And that then the same members of the financial advisory community are going to get upset when these (laughs) professors and so-called consumer advocates want more regulation from the federal government. It's like you're making your bet. And you're mad that you got to sleep in it. Listen, at the end of the day, the life insurance industry gives these people licenses. Okay, so contracts. They um, give them the ability yeah, to they don't sell give them their the products. Licenses. They give them contracts, but um, I never miss an opportunity to share my opinion. Go figure. <laughs> um, with the Home Office, um, you know, presidents, vice presidents, regional guys, all the way up the board to the CEOs. And not that I hang out with all of them, right? But I do have occasion, you know, uh, to engage with them. And and none of them have ever disagreed with me whenever I tell them. And it could be at dinner. It could be, you know, the oddest places where there's no wall, you know. I'm like, you know, the life insurance industry, the insurance companies earn and deserve every black eye that they get. Yeah. Right. And part of the black eye that they have earned is you keep giving these people contracts. If you can look and, I mean, you can gauge their history. Yeah. Okay. And is it, it's, do you, do you the, does a life insurance company need that premium so bad that you'll just look the other way when policies are being mm-hmm. churned and misrepresented and it's guideline? I mean, so I'm just saying, I never miss the opportunity to share my opinion with the, you know, the home office people that will listen, and they keep inviting me back. So, but none of them disagree. None of them have ever said, "Oh, James, you're all wrong." Yeah, they all like. Yeah, yeah we and you got a certain way of putting things, and so it might be like maybe that they haven't heard what the you're truth, telling them in the way that straightforward. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Okay. All right, then David says that uh, the fee-only person missed the boat. IBC is about banking in all caps. It's exactly correct. It is the infinite banking concept. It is Becoming about- Becoming your own banker. You know, control over capital formation and deployment. Thank you, David. Um, Thank yeah. you, everyone that comments. Yeah. And then Leroy. <laughs> I've watched this channel. I've watched so many vids from this channel that the mention of a Roth IRA or a pension <laughs> triggers me now. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, and I get it. Yeah, I mean. Your eyes start twitching. Yeah. Don't jump over Paul here. <clears throat> Gents, I for one have learned a bunch from this podcast and appreciate the content, mm. passion and perspective. Yeah. Paul, you're welcome. Thank you for your comment. Yeah. Thank you for your comment. I like this one, Leroy. I'm glad I found this channel. 
Yeah. It's like, you know how much you got to step over a lot of trash to find the diamonds. You know, you got to, you got to move a lot of topsoil to get to the gold. I'm just telling you, it takes work, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. You type in the infinite banking concept or Nelson Nash or banking with life. Cause it's just see what comes up, you know, it's 8,000. Yeah. I can't stress enough that the solution to it is just to go to the source. Just go read his little 92 page book. And that's, it is both necessary and sufficient. There is so many, there are so many resources, quote unquote resources available to, um, what's the right way to put this that represent that it's something about the infinite banking concept and at the end of the day you just got to go to the source because there's only going to be more information you know we're shooting this in september 2020 well five years from now there's going to be 50 times the amount of material that's out there now available and it will still be the correct thing to do is to go to the source (laughs) right Becoming Your Own Banker by R. Nelson Nash, printed in 2000, amended in 2010, his first book. The eight-hour seminar is available at the Nelson Nash Institute of Nelson himself live presenting. Mm -hmm. That is the source. If you call our office, we can get you a discount. (laughs) Um, Then his second book, Building Your Warehouse of Wealth, and I prefer to have the first edition of that where it had my endorsement in the front of that book. That Nelson waited to publish that book, waited for my endorsement. <clears throat> and I wasn't the only one that was endorsing the book. Right. So some of them should have came out. <laughs> I'm just saying. <clears throat> and then the Banking with Live DVD, excuse me, which, you know, I created that. Um, yes, I'm, I'm uh, 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 unbiased about it, right? Full disclosure, I was the executive producer. I storyboarded that out. But it's not scripted. It's unscripted. All right. And then... Uh, I wait the day if someone tries to script you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of... Uh, well, it's good, bad, and it's good and bad. Yeah. There's a lot of content within me that, you know, people want to script and I can't. I just got to, you know, right. share it and then clean it up. Anyway, well, there is one thing that I've wanted to talk about, and it's like a proper use of an illustration. And I know that oh we. Oh my gosh! I know. And well, there's videos out there. Uh, how to read an illustration, right? How to read a life insurance illustration. How to. And so okay, there, wait. There's but, just it's got to be talked about. <laughs> okay, let's perfect. Let's talk about it. On your way down here, you were listening to some uh, voice in the infinite banking footprint illegitimately my opinion yeah um and he and they were uh i don't know apologetic uh, clarifying why they use the third party and not life insurance illustrations anymore can you expand on that yes so you know life insurance companies provide uh illustration design software that's available to agents with that who have contracts with those life insurance companies that provide them the ability to sell that company's products so an agent can go into this software uh and theoretically hypothetically can go and build a life insurance content using the software provided and so what you see a lot of out there on in, in video and on online in general is a, a screen share right so the they're showing on the screen 
this the particular company's software, uh, or they might even show a particular illustration from a particular company. And they're saying, oh, this is how you do it, and this is why you do it, and it's, you know, if that's all you see, yeah. and that's all you know, okay, I'm, I'm gonna take you at face value, but if you're an, an agent or an advisor who knows companies and knows software, knows what's going on behind the numbers, you know, it's completely, no, that's not how you do it. That's one way to do it, and that's the way you're, it's you're doing it. That does, that, and that's all that means. Yeah, and so you're going to see it. You've already watched it. Be, by the time you end up at this channel, because yeah. we don't do any ad kind of buys, <laughs> and the other people are stalking you, so you've already seen it. They do right? stalk. So just Ugh. keep in mind that, first of all, the use of a life insurance illustration is a, is a topic of regulatory focus, right? So if you were to receive the document, via email or a hard copy, you'd see at the bottom of the page that it says the illustration is not valid unless all pages are provided. What? And that, yeah, and that uh, they're only good for a period typically of two weeks, meaning that an illustration when it's printed assumes that the current experience of the company continues out into the future. And so there's a, they're only relevant within a current time frame. And so if a number of weeks pass, current experience of the company has changed, and uh, one element, for instance, the dividends that are illustrated may be different. Uh, but the dividends only change on an annual basis, okay? But yeah. loan charges can change on a monthly and a quarterly basis. You know, yeah. I'm just saying that. So just be aware, what we're saying, just be aware that uh, when, when there's, you know, there's, certain rules that apply to illustrations, to the use of illustrations, and, and they're there for a reason. I mean, that you, I've said it before that if you know what you're doing with software, you can make an illustration dance. And, and to, to judge life insurance, to judge the infinite banking concept based on an illustration, like the fee-only uh, quote-unquote advisor that we talked about last time, to judge the concept, to judge what we're doing with infinite banking based on an analysis of an illustration is illegitimate. Right there's well that's that's in addition to the illegitimacy and the less than straightforward honesty of uh, a uh, an opinion right or a quote unquote report. So it is illegitimate, no question, to to base the infinite banking concept becoming your own banker on an illustration, no question about that. But that's on top of what we talked about the quote unquote fee only advisor you know, charging for an opinion, but there was, there, there was that opinion, uh, or, uh, well, not a poorly written email. Yeah. All right. It's beyond just judging the illustration. He was explicitly, um, by omission and by insinuation saying that one illustration is better than another or one company is better than another based, based on, on the illustrations. Yeah. Right, so I'm just saying there's more than that. And look, let's talk about illustrations for a minute since we're bringing it up. This idea that, you know, an illustration is, is a projection um, or comparable is just... It's wrong. Yeah. A life insurance illustration created by an agent, you know, is exactly that. They have manipulated, put riders on it. And I'm not saying manipulated in a good or bad way. I'm just saying that they've they built a policy, right? Um, premium, cash value, death benefit, and 
current dividend scale. And so they're creating a solution, right, for their client. Okay, that illustration is based, like you said, on the company's current experience, the current financial experience. Did their investment portfolio return? Did their claims ratio change? Did their mortality charges? Did their distribution charges? Did any of that change? Everything is going to change in the future. The future is unknown, uh -huh. period. That's why you made the reference of the individual, you know, knowing future tax brackets, knowing future when somebody's going to graduate. Are you kidding me? Talking uh -huh. about playing God, you know, the future uh -huh. is unknown. Okay, if that's true, and it is, everything about the illustration is going to change. And now, and I'm just getting to this. The basis of a life insurance illustration is, is if nothing changes in the future. You compare that to an investment projection. Completely different. And number one, life insurance is not an investment. Any, every time. Life insurance is used or investment is used in the terminology of life insurance. It's wrong. Yeah. Period. Now, I'm not saying that universal life and, and uh, variable universal life hasn't been creating. They're blending the investment component subaccounts with life insurance. I'm not saying that that doesn't exist. Life insurance is not an investment. Other than variable life, those subaccounts, those are investments. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, if you compare a life insurance illustration to an investment projection, you've got to understand the basis of each. And so the basis of a life insurance illustrations is a current financial experience of the issuing life insurance company. There's a guaranteed element and a non-guaranteed element, okay? All right, you compare that to an investment projection. What is that? The investment house advisor looks back in their software and they look back in time and say, well, here's a period, 10 year, 20 year, whatever the time period is, is, and they're comparing different experiences, right? Whether well, the market was high, there's a markets were low during this time period, and then there's an average in the middle, and they take one, some, or all of those and project the investment results forward. Completely different basis of illustrations or examples. Completely different. Yeah. Okay. And then let's add in to, uh, let's say that I want to invest in uh, any kind of a project, real estate, business. What am I going to base my decisions on? I want to see some numbers. Everybody wants to know their numbers, and rightly so. And while we're looking at numbers, don't forget your waistline and your <laughs> cholesterol, okay, or your weight. Okay. I want to see a pro forma, mm. right? You're – whomever is presenting the opportunity i don't care what it is here's the capital required here are the cash flows here are the expenses you know and all the parameters if we sell this much product if we have this you know percentage of occupancy or all the parameters mm -hmm. right and then they're projecting that out forward yeah all right so what is the difference between a pro forma an investment projection and a life insurance illustration. You have to look at the basis of the beginning, where they're coming from, mm -hmm. and they're completely different, is what I'm saying. And then when you add in these third-party softwares yep. to make the life insurance illustration look better, to, so you can get a 37% rate of return, or 13% rate of return, or 7% rate, of, or whatever the unrealistic number is, and you're going to invest in, excuse me. You're going to leverage that policy to invest in life settlements yeah. or bridge loans 
just look at the history of all that. Okay, it's not really good. And we've said this many times, but you are the best investment you have going. So you invest in yourself. That is so neglected. And then you put your money where you know something about. After, I'm telling you, you should. Life insurance should be a warehouse of wealth. This is where you put your money, right? And we can talk about wealth. I think you want to bring that up and the difference yeah. between what wealth is. And um, okay, so there's a couple. Let me. There's a couple points in there. Right? There's a lot of points. There's a in lot there. of points. You in can there. listen to that twice. <laughs> <laughs> let me. So the the use of the term investment, right? Um, first of all, there's a legal history of the use of that term investment with life insurance. And it has resulted in certain tax restrictions that now exist in the form of modified endowment contract rules, right? So the the industry uh, has experienced consequences of the, the use of that term. Life insurance. So there's a practical problem with the use of that word, right? It's resulted in certain legal consequences. There's also a conceptual problem. When we say that life insurance is not an investment, we're not just saying that because we're cognizant of various regulations regarding that term and the history, although that's true. There's also a conceptual issue. And I was explaining this to a client earlier this week. The, an invest, the, the whole point of investing is to give up control of money, of capital, to somebody else. For right? a cost. In order, yeah, the idea is there's going to be some return generated. In order to trigger that return or the hypothetical return, you have to forfeit control of the use of money. That is the exact opposite of what we're doing in dividend paying whole life built for the infinite banking concept. The whole point is to retain, maximize, improve, and control capital. I would just like to have a return of my money, like Will Rogers. Right. <laughs> but it's, it's, like, it's more important than a return on my money. And so there's a thing out there, you know, where we're, we're saying that, you know, uh, Dividend paying whole life built for the, the infinite banking concept is like the quote unquote perfect investment. And that's just, you know. Wrong. It's wrong. It's unclear. It advances the idea that um, it, just exactly that, that it, there's an investment that you're going to get some expected rate of return. So the focus is on return. The thinking is on return. That's flawed thinking. Um, it's that, indulging that, the, the the traditional mindset out there. We're, it we're, comes from the traditional mindset. Yeah. It is an expansion. It is. <laughs> it's always from. Uh, uh, <clears throat> so so I don't get it. Like I mean, maybe I do get it, but it's like why, why explain it in those terms? Nelson didn't do that. Never. It's I just. There's an economist, uh, Hans Hoppe. Uh, who I've met and I've told you about before. Yeah. <laughs> He's um, a mentor of yours. <laughs> yeah. uh, some teach us what to do and some teach us what not to do. Yeah. I'm he, not saying he's he either one. I'm just saying right. you've learned a lot from Hoppe. Yes. And he has Legitimately. said, and he has, he has said uh, that, you know, if Austrian economists would just read Ludwig von Mises, if they would just return to the source, they would prevent a lot of the errors that would otherwise come up. And it's the same principle here. If we would just return to the source, we prevent a lot of these errors. You know, uh, we, we wouldn't have much to talk about on this show. I mean, we <laughs> there'd be a lot less, you know, of, of, no, just of be different bad subjects. examples. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no question. Yeah, yeah it'd be, yeah. maybe it'd be more positive, less triggered. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, we try to walk the line, be the light, like Nelson said, but 
Y'all make it difficult. <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so one thing I do, on, on the, then the subject of illustrations. Okay, this might be helpful. Illustrations have three components. What, and this is just one way to think about it. But there's some language that explains the different parts of a dividend-paying whole life policy, right? Some explanation of the different uh, terminology. Then there's a ledger, right? There's a, an illustration of future cash values and death benefits based on the current experience of the company and an assumed premium flow, right? That's the ledger portion. Tabular um, detail. Yep. And then there's where your dollars are going. Right? And the, uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is so much of the emphasis on illustrations is on the ledger. When does the cash value exceed the cumulative premium? When do I go cash on cash? When do I break even? Right? So much of the emphasis is on the ledger. Where the valuable information, the information that is telling, is really in the part where it tells you where your money's going. Right? What you're paying for. How much of the total premium is going to the base? How much of the total premium is going to a PUA? What riders are on the contract? I have people who enter my process and they might have current policies in force and part of the problem is checking for figs. You know, we want to make sure there's no fatal flaws in what you already own. You didn't get it from me, but I don't want anything to blow up on you that you already have. And so we look at that, right? We go through what the, at half the time, literally half the time, if not more, there are little superscripts, or asterisks next to different numbers way out in the future. And you got to look on the 47th page to, to find out what they are. Oh and God. it's like, do you know that the way this is illustrated is that they want to RPU it at year 20? Right? Oh, what does that mean? Hmm. hmm. Why would that be the case, by the why, way? Why is that's a non forfeiture provision that only exists in permanent whole life insurance? Why doesn't that exist in a universal life policy? Right? The guaranteed. The ability to guarantee by contract, reduce the face amount, pay up the policy where no future premiums are due out of pocket, reduce paid up. Now, it makes, it just speaks to what you mentioned earlier. It makes the illustration dance, right? So what really goes on whenever you can't embrace the idea and the simplicity of thinking long range not being afraid to capitalize, i.e. pay a premium, and then be an honest banker, right? Repay your loans, pay higher premium in the future as your income and cash flows increase, okay? And then don't do business with banks outside of savings and checking, i.e. don't do business with third-party lenders. I, that is so simple, it will make an academician or an erudite <laughs> angry. Right, and especially coming from a slow-speaking, southern-drawled individual, I God bless you. Get over your anger, okay? And <laughs> I'm just saying, embrace the simplicity. Yeah. Right now, if I can do that, right, and I'm working with a competent agent and advisor that is going to earn a commission. Oh my goodness, <laughs> they're going to be paid for their efforts and their knowledge. And you know what? I was shopping. Okay, I want to take a side note, but bring me back, please. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> my beautiful wife wants a new couch. And I'm like, you know, I love my wife, and I don't care what she wants. She can have it. Okay. <laughs> so she says, you know, for measurements and all, would you come and look at it? She, You know, she doesn't want to do anything. Okay, so mm -hmm. I go. We look, and we measure. While we're there, <laughs> I wonder on the other side of the store. And I see a podcasting table that we're going to purchase <laughs> that'll be here in the next few episodes, right? All right. 
So this particular store, all of their uh, employees have a big old uh, sign, a badge, a button, a pin-on button, you know, that says non-commission. Oh, my God. And I want, of course, my, our daughter is with us, O'Reilly, 12 years old, all right? I want to so badly ask them, oh, I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to the commissioned professional. Right, but I didn't. Okay. <laughs> so I'm just saying um, the agent that you choose to work with is going to earn a commission. That's how they get paid or a fee or both. Full disclosure, I'm a commissioned life insurance agent. But you know what? I'm also a father, a brother, a son, an uncle, a cousin. So don't pigeonhole me. You get paid however you get paid. I don't care if it's 1099, W-2, yeah. 1099 income, renewals, residuals, fees, rental income. You get numerated in some way, and we do too. Right. Okay, now. Let me, um, say, let me say something about that because it bleeds over into the marketing, right? So you, oh notice, my gosh. you notice there's no ads, there's no, you know, we're not stalking anybody, there's no, we're not pitching, uh, you know, boxed mattresses or Bitcoin IRAs or selling socks or underwear. CBD oil. Yeah, we don't have to, we're not in that business. And it, it, part of the reason that I get triggered about the whole marketing thing is like, if you know the opportunity costs, if you understand the division of labor and the value of specialization, if you know where your time and energy is well, best let's, let's spent. Let's say I don't understand what you're saying when you say division of labor. Okay. Maybe I don't understand that. All right. And if for me, I know all of you do, but break it down for me, okay. the division of labor and why that is important. Absolutely. Okay. So, it, and you can take a spiritual perspective. You're going to just teach these stalkers <laughs> economics, you know, so... Well, then the, the part of it is, is that you should open it, a Patreon account. If they, <laughs> it, it's not even in their best interest to go about the things that I see a lot of them doing. You know, it would be if you're selling life insurance. My God, man, sell life insurance. That's and okay. Do it and do a lot of it. Right. And, and do it correctly. All right. So the division of labor is based on the idea of specialization. All right. When when you as an individual, you and I, whomever, right, any human being, you, first of all, you have certain proclivities. You have certain talents. Right. You do certain things more efficiently. You accomplish more in a given unit of time than other people do doing that thing. Right. Whatever it might be, and that manifests in what we call the division of labor. And so you get a bunch of people who, well, some people acknowledge that they accomplish more in their given field per unit of time than others. Other people don't acknowledge it. So there's like a specialty. There's, you develop a specialization, hence the word specialization. And in the economic terminology, we call it economies of scale. The, the, the more you practice whatever it is that you naturally do better than other people in a given time frame, you develop further efficiency, right? You get... You, you're able to accomplish even more in that unit of time, right? Okay, the, the further you go into that, the more time you spend, the more time you improve, the deeper you go into the division of labor, right? The labor that your work, your efforts, uh, not your work, Human labor is divided among the particular individuals, right? Hence the phrase division of labor, right? And that's great, right? If you... So long as we have property, so long as we can exchange, 
so long as we have the rule of contract. Which, by God, that's under threat currently. Yep. But so long as we have all that, you go do what you're great at. You, James, you go do what you're great at. And I then we hey. trade, right? We exchange the fruits of our labor. And so I can trade with you, and you're at the top of your game and your specialty, so I can expect a higher outcome or a higher value in our exchange. Oh, my gosh. What? Is that simple economics or what? It's so simple. I'm not saying the way you explain it is simple. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that's like Henry Ford, right? And the unseen hand, um, Adam Smith in the, in the pen, right? Yeah. Um, Adam okay. Smith, uh, he's... Adam Smith did a lot to dilute the power of economic theory. I'm not and, saying, listen, yeah. listen, listen, we can learn from everyone. Some yes. teach us what to do. Some teach us what not to do. Okay. My point being is the vision of labor is important. Why is it important? And you're explaining why it's important. I can be more efficient. Everyone can be more efficient if we understand and apply the theory of a division of labor. Yes, but let's apply it to, this is where I was going, let's apply yeah. it to the marketing, right? Okay, so if we acknowledge what the division of labor is, we acknowledge the benefits to hum humanity, to us individually of exchange immersed in the division of labor. We acknowledge all that, so taking it for granted here, but we acknowledge it. Okay, what does it imply? What does it mean for the marketing world? And what frustrates me is that I see people in the, uh, all sorts of communities, right? Be it the liberty-oriented stuff, be it in the economics, be it in life insurance and finance, be it in the infinite banking world, who I have see a, you left the government out? Who have it? Well, I'm being nice. Who have a specialization? <laughs> you know, they're doing. They're, they are. They're providing value somewhere, right? They're mm -hmm. they're immersing themselves in the division of labor, but are taking time away from doing that to sell socks or to sell mattresses. It's like, stop it. Mama needs you know? a new car. I don't and know. no one likes it. No one wants to be stalked. Oh, no one wants to have, you know, they're listening to something that they enjoy. They don't want it to be interrupted for a, a marketing message. And then it's cloaked in this <laughs> virtue signaling. Banking with live DVD. Of the, <laughs> stop it. It's cloaked in this virtue signaling of, oh, because it's voluntary, it's okay. Because this is my channel and I control it. I'm going to, I'm selling something and selling is all selling is good, right? Uh, and so, I, so you know, it's justified. And in fact, it's not only is it justified; it's a, it's reflective of my of the propriety of my capitalist image. And it's like, stop it, just quit, because it's in, it, it, it <laughs> indulges the materialist, consumerist style of mentality where capitalists are viewed as these people who are just pitching product. And lo and behold, that is the case in a lot of instances, right? And. So anyway, in the marketing world, right? And so to me, as a financial professional, it's like when, when, when people go about doing that, when, they go, when, when we see their marketing, when we see that it, they're clearly not indulging their own specialization, Talents. it's like, do we not understand the economics behind that? Like clearly. I, I then judge naturally the economic competence because why would you be doing that? If you knew that you're, if the power of your message was diluted by this inefficient, uneconomic activity, why continue it? I think that that's just another iteration, another version, or another example of this superior inferiority complex that most mm. of us have, right? My talents, 
my value, what I'm trying to bring to the quote unquote marketplace isn't valuable enough. So I'm going to have to substitute my time, effort, energy to bring in a product that I perceive people will buy and I'll get a revenue from. Mm. I mean, isn't that just self-limiting uh, thought yeah. in action? Yeah. I mean, isn't it? At the end of the day, um, you know, I think that we all have God-given abilities and talents and you should embrace them and put them out in the big wide world and not limit yourself, not limit your thinking. I think that, and I don't specifically know who you're referencing. I mean, I have an idea. Uh, most libertarians, you know, and I don't want to, I really don't want to paint with a broad brush, right? Um, an awful lot of economists, politicians, and libertarians, um, you know, it's like the libertarians or the, or the Austrians, you know, if you, if you solve the banking problem with the infinite banking concept yeah. at the you and me level, it's like, what are they going to talk about? They yeah. can't talk about fractional reserve banking anymore. If everybody listened to, went to the source of R. Nelson Nash, um, oh my gosh, that put a lot of people out of business. If everybody went to the source of economics and Ludwig von Mises, as you suggest, what are they going to talk about? What, what book are they going to write and sell? You, 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 you. Absolutely, and no, you're, it's exactly the case now in academia. It's this fractionalization where there's a journal for everything. Gender studies, this you know, 16th century <laughs> pirate economies on board you know, in, the, in the Atlantic Coast. There's a there's a journal for everything, wow. and it, then no discussion of finance. And then we turn around, and it's like, what's the state of capital theory? Oh, there pretty much isn't any. We have a, a theory of, of the production structure, mm -hmm. right? We have a theory about why certain material goods are where they are and all of that. But where's the where where is the Austrian personal finance? Oh, Nelson Nash. That's where it is. In action. Right? And and then the yeah. other part of this that really gets me is the 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 self-judgment and the the self-criticism that a lot of people are walking around with in the in this conventional financial framework where it's oh. I'm not good enough. I don't do well enough for myself. I, I need don't know. I need an expert. I need an investment advisor. I need to give up control of what I of what God has given me in order to chase something because I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. And that like brings out the little protector and that kind of thing in yeah, me. Yeah, but like, that exists, but it also exists but that that the fact that some people are not enamored with money, right? They're not interested, yeah. right? And they want someone else. They want to, I don't want to say abdicate their responsibility, but they want to rely on, Defer, depend on, yeah. on a on a professional. And then, which kind of goes back, well, the onus is still on them because they have to vet the professional. Yeah. And that's not very clear on purpose in the financial world, mm. which is the only reason why we brought up the... Um, "Quote unquote fee only guy," yeah, because that's just an example of what goes on. And in, in like earlier stated earlier, don't want to report him anywhere other than just talk about it free mm -hmm. and openly. Yeah, right. Um, so my point is that it does exist out there. That it's like me. I don't. I don't want to work on my. Car. I have worked on my car so much in the past. I'm not interested <laughs> anymore. I have built hay, hauled cows. I mean, I have. Built, I've been a carpenter's helper. Yeah. You know, by the time when they turn around with an empty hand, you had to know what tool they needed and <laughs> you had to have it in their hand without a word. So, my point is, I don't want to do all that. I'd rather pay a professional. 
Yeah. And I would rather pay a commissioned professional. Why? Because they are in a competitive situation. Right? They're either going to produce or not. And if they're going to produce at a successful level, it's because they have knowledge and experience. Right? And and so I just want to pay somebody who has knowledge and experience. So that does exist in the big wide world in the world of finance mm-hmm. as well. But then it's still caveat emptor. How how do how do we, you know, vet these people? Um, and then if you if you just back that up even further, what if what if the majority of my money resided in unilateral contracts with legitimate private companies of which I have the opportunity and the ability to be part owner of. Now we just, and I don't have to talk about rates of return. I don't have to talk about premium structure between the base and the PUA until my eyes roll over. And it's like, listen, if I pile up money right, that I've, I've earned, I've exchanged my time, effort, energy, time with my family, you know, 30 years of experience yeah. exchanging to to earn an income and I just want to put that money somewhere for future consumption there's no better place to put it being very simple um, if I had done that I've only practiced the infinite banking concept for about 16 years now <clears throat> if I would have known what I know now if I'd have known then when I was a young man putting money accumulating money anywhere I wouldn't need personally an investment advisor. I probably mm-hmm. wouldn't even be an investment advisor. <laughs> I might be a life insurance agent. I would actually absolutely be that. And my point is, the the sooner you understand this and implement it in your life, and the further out you go into the future, the less you will be dependent upon gurus, financial gurus of any sort. Yeah, it is personal secession. I mean, it's. Financial, you and me level, personal secession. Um, and and talk about ticking off somebody. You can tick off a banker when you don't need them, and they're empty-handed. Yeah, that look of not understanding is yeah. priceless. And <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. And the whole credit score thing too. We talked about credit scores in the past. I mean, the idea that these faceless, nameless institutions run by people you don't know who probably don't like you, who can't wait to cancel you, are going to judge your character and apply this little three-digit score that you're going to run your life by, and then go tell your friends how big or how small it is. It's like, I mean, what is the appeal to that? How did we get caught up in condition to to go about conditioning comparing our credits? It's like. Talk about virtue signaling. Don't even ask me. And I get these the the bankers who send the emails or the the in the you know the automated emails from the because you have an online account with these banks that say oh we're going to provide you your your credit score for free like it's a gift. It's like listen, <laughs> I didn't ask for it. I don't want to know. It, it, I, I don't care. You know. Oh, they'll tell you. You don't have to ask them. Whoa, Jing. Wow. It's to the point. It's like, excuse me. No, you. you I did not. I did not ask for you to judge me based you know, on some oh score. My gosh. Uh, you don't know how it was calculated, and then, of course, the whole there's a whole industry, right? These little niche cottage industries pop up because of this a poor financial understanding where they're going to you know decipher how your credit score was determined and of course by the way the, the companies can change that formula at any time and so they're going to tell you how the score is calculated and they're going to of course sell you a, a, a method to then um, improve it it's like 
I have a, I had a conversation with a client who's in the financial community, and he started infinite banking, and w- w- was previously engaged in the sale of more conventional products. And he's like, Ryan, I, I haven't made any sales <laughs> since I started this. Oh, no. It's like I can't, I can no longer do what I was doing. And it's like, yeah, that. Let me know when you're ready for more. You know, because Over the this years. is. This is that that is the process. Mm-hmm. And you're going to get irritated. I get the question. Look, I'm not an investment advisor. I don't have a securities license. I don't want one. FINRA can fly a kite. I'm not interested. Uh, so this is not investment advice, but I have a master's in economics. Technically speaking, you could call me an economist. So this is an economic opinion. That's all it is, right? People ask, you know, I got this money in a tax qualified plan, 401k, Roth IRA, IRA, whatever it might be, 403B, whatever it is. Uh, they're like, you know, I've been contributing a certain percentage because my employer, whoever matches a certain amount. Free money. They get free money. It's quote unquote free money, which is a lie. It's not free, it's not money. So it's neither of those things, right? Uh, so it's <laughs> what it is, by the way, what, what these tax qualified plans are from an economic, again, I stress an economic non-investment perspective is that it is a, it is a, short-term tax liability management scheme for the employer. That's all it is. They're deferring a tax liability at at present, and they're doing so with contributions to a tax-qualified plan, and it's communicated to the employee that, oh, you're getting something out of this too. That's all it is. Well, no, there's more than that. Nelson had it exactly right. The uh, current tax code, well, not in its current form, but Income tax in the United States became permanent in 1913. Life insurance has existed for well over 200 years. All right? Let's think about this. Now, the qualified plans didn't come until after World War II. So Uncle Sam creates these qualified plans to give you an exception to a problem that they created. So there's no question that you're exactly right. I'm just saying in addition to that, or something more going on. Who oh, yeah. benefits from that? Your employer, yeah, because he might can they might can retain an employee, right, with this idea that you're getting free money. But then who else? Who's who's benefiting more than that? Oh my gosh, that's nothing but a future obligation, or it's a future. You're creating a future tax liability at an unknown bracket on an ostensibly <laughs> larger number, and you're creating a pool of money for Uncle Sam. Hmm. That's all it is. And the largest securities block in the world is in the United States retirement system. I think it's like over $25 trillion. What? Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. And a third of that is mine if I'm Uncle Sam. And oh, it could never happen that Uncle Sam shows up and says, you know what? You're a patriot. You're a citizen. A third of that money is ours anyway. The country's in trouble. We need our money now. That could never happen. Yeah. We'll just give you these bonds, you know. What? Yeah, they're the better. I'll anyway, use. You know? Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Okay. So just Hypothetically speaking. All right. So we, we kind of veered off from the division of labor and commissions. Um, so an advisor is going to earn a commission if they write life insurance. This idea of fee-only life insurance, it exists in the big, wide world, but typically it exists in the brokerage houses, mm. right? And so- which life insurance is not the only thing that exists in this form. Here are these uh, brokerage houses, investment advisors, what have you. That's a typical. It's like they they white label products, mm-hmm. right? So um, I'm going to charge a fee only for advice. 
and so you pay a fee, I give you advice, and some of that advice may include a life insurance contract or a variable annuity or a particular family of mutual funds or whatever else is shelved, quote unquote, in that brokerage house. And then the brokerage house is remunerated yep. or enumerated, paid in addition to the fee, some yep. backdoor 12B1 management fees or what have you. There's all kinds of fees out there. It's just so less than honest. It's not straightforward and right. it's not genuine. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it advances the idea that commissions are bad relies on the idea i mean it's of course commissions are evil and so you got to go through all these other hoops and uh you know, obstacles to jump through so that we can get paid yep and then and then in the life insurance world um it the noises continued compounded or further advanced by saying well my commissions are less than your commissions <laughs> so therefore you should do business with me because because commissions are bad yeah, and, and I'm getting paid less than the other right, or another individual. Does that mean that your services are less valuable? That, oh, that I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but let me wrap up that point about the tax qualified thing because I get the question, you know, where I've been contributing, now I'm starting infinite banking, and, you know, what, I mean, do people use money in a tax qualified plan to pay life insurance premium? Can it be done? Yes, it can be done. Yep. And it, you know, you I should I, have uh, some guidance as you do that. Yeah, it's the it's just about the most controversial thing you can do, right? Liquidating money mm -hmm. in a tax qualified plan, which is supposed to be the, the the saving grace in the financial world, right? Liquidating that account in order to pay a premium into what dividend paying whole life insurance, right? Just about the most controversial thing you can do. Um, it can absolutely be done. Right? It's up to the individual. If people who get mad and quit and they want to liquidate anything in the tax qualified plan, other people want to stop making contributions, use that money instead to pay premium. Other people want to phase the account they've built up into dividend paying whole life over time. And it's, you know. The disclosure the should be made that don't do anything without consulting your professionals, whomever it yeah. is that you rely upon, tax qualified individuals attorneys, investment advisors, or what have you. Um, that's my point. Because if you don't know what the outcome or the cost of doing things are, you might not should do them until you are fully aware of all the cost. You know, it's count the cost before you put your hand to the plow. Yeah. Right. And then when you put your hand to the plow, by God, don't look up and don't look back. Just keep going. Okay. That's my disclosure. No, it's 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 valuable. But I wanted to mention it because we get the question, and people feel like. In fact, uh, a lady in New York was saying this to me. She's like, you know, it it feels like you know uh, the Stasi is going to come around the corner if I even say I'm going to stop contributing to my tax qualified plan. You get abuse like from you, the from your employer, yeah, and the and the uh, benefits administrator. It's like in your in your cohorts is like, what are you doing? Have you seen what this stock has done? Have you seen what that stock has done? It's like. I love that one comment earlier. <laughs> he gets triggered yeah. just hearing qualified plan. And that's that's where people end up. You know, you get a little, just like Nelson used to say, it's a different way of living. It's so simple. It's, you got a private asset, 
pay a lot of premium, build a lot of capital. Oh, I mean, don't wait, rely on accumulated anybody. capital attracts opportunity. You can say that until you're whole other point that you can say that till you're blue in the face. You can hear that until you actually experience that. Like many other things, it's really not a full comprehensive reality. Yeah. All right, but when you know, it's just like when I was growing up, my daddy used to say, you know, I used to have to go to my hand, my banker with my hat in my hand. And as he grew older, and a very astute businessman, he's like, James, the bankers come to me with their hat in their hand. It's like until you experience that, it's just conversation. Mm. But when you do experience that, it is life changing. Yeah, and, and that, I love bankers. Yeah, and I want to add on to your other point earlier. I have a lot of bankers as clients across the country and have had for many years you know most of them change the way they practice banking once they start practicing the infinite banking concept yeah. and i'm not saying all local bankers are bad there's no, there's nothing wrong with banking right right it's a free flow of money or the movement of money um, nothing wrong with banking i'm talking about fractional reserve banking and the bankers that quote unquote run the world you know those mm-hmm. the lineage of you know Satan, canine ancestry. Talking about those guys in a negative way. The local banker that you know is a pillar of their community on purpose. You know, okay, I'll, they're I'll good quit. people. They are. Uh, good I, got, people. I got I got good friends who are it, it, who work for banks. Let's put it that most, way. Most look most local, regional, community bankers, and even the uh, the young professional in the big banks don't really understand what's going on with fractional reserve banking. And when you figure that out, that's when it becomes... Once you see it, you can't unsee it. You cannot. Yeah. But that's when it becomes, you know, um, uh, it can cause someone to be motivated to change the way they... Right. Well, I I say this too. Offense is is taken. It's not given, right? And so I, I, I take a little offense at the idea that you know, life insurance sales is this little corner of the financial community that should be avoided. Um, and, and, and the idea that the only financial advice is investment advice, it because it, it totally neglects what you mentioned, what Nelson talked about, and what I talked about in the uh, 2019 Nelson Nash Institute think tank, uh, is that relationship between capital and opportunity. If if the relationship between capital and opportunity were appreciated, then capitalization would be understood as the key to superior investment performance. What? Yeah, because you've never heard of an overcapitalized business. Ever. Ever. And there's no such thing as too much capital. It's the infinite banking concept. (laughs) And so the more capital you have, the way I describe it is the landscape of potential possibility transforms, right? (laughs) Mises says that you need three things for action, right? You have to envision a superior set of circumstances. You have to believe in your ability to get there, right? Capital, money, the ability to exercise purchasing power, your ability to intervene in circumstance is a function of how much capital you control. The more capital you control, the more things are possible. The only reason we don't walk down the street and think, huh, I could buy that house, fix it up, turn it around and sell it is because we don't have the capital to do it. I think that all the time. (laughs) You're an exception. (laughs) But the reason that that's not the normal framework for people, the reason this little Mm -hmm. cottage industry of online financial entertainers who want to sell you a script for how to talk to a banker, right? the reason that exists is because we don't have control (laughs) over capital. Can I go buy that? Really? Can I go buy a script on how to talk to a banker? Yeah. 
I know. Who to, who to talk to? How to you know the the clothes to wear? <laughs> the it's all available. That's what, oh and they charge gosh. big money for it. You know these you, you, the viewer knows who I'm talking about, right? These financial entertainers who mm-hmm. that's why they got to put the the jets and the expensive cars on the YouTube channel because that makes it a business purpose so they can write off the that's all they're doing. It's just a tax game, but they want to they want to show a lavish lifestyle in order to get you to subscribe. Are we talking about direct marketing? I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just saying that that's that that, that whole framework, mm-hmm. you know, and it's all again a tax game. Lo and behold, mm-hmm. surprise, surprise, um, it's it's that whole thing exists because we don't have individual control over capital, and if we did, we would experience just like you said. If you if you have an experience, then it's all just conversation, but once you do experience it, it's like, oh, oh, this is what. A, a, a true, legitimate financially financial philosophy feels like, right? When you're walking around knowing that you can exercise your authority. I, have a, I had this conversation uh, this week with a client, real estate investor, successful, has been for two generations, right? Families in the real estate business. He's got his license. He's got a. He 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 told me he that he was doing all these uh, sales and looking at his because the assets are all owned in a trust and all that, and they were outsourcing the management side. What? And he's like, why, why don't we control that? Like, what? what? Started the company, lo and behold, it's the highest cash-flowing enterprise now in the family. And I'm like, all you're doing with IBC, <laughs> is that's the same thing. That's it. We're just controlling one more piece of the puzzle. And it happens, just so happens it's the most fundamental piece of the most puzzle. Important and he had the puzzle. all these negative experiences of because look, they he's got all these legal entities in place for Ooh. tax liability and sounds asset expensive. Sounds like paying that's a, very costly. Paying a fee for it every all, year. All to reduce imagine this. Imagine the <laughs> a financial advisor saying, Listen, we're gonna reduce how much income comes to you, and that's gonna be a good thing, and I'm gonna charge you for it. Right? That's why all these assets are in place. It's to reduce how much income is distributed and therefore taxable to the individual. Right? So he's got all the in, all these in place and consequently has a low on paper income. So when he goes to the banker to get a loan to buy his next property, where's your income? They're like, who are you? <laughs> and he's got to, re- every time, he's in his late 30s. He's done this over and over again. He's got to read. Second generation? He's, yeah. yeah. Okay. He's got to re-justify. His daddy did it too. Got to re-justify every time. And if he doesn't change that, his children will have to do that. Has to explain his creditworthiness. Yeah. And justify, oh, listen, listen, we've got lots of real estate clients across the country. And I love, this is going back a couple of years, but it's just another example of what's going on. You know, you have, whatever, 100, 200 doors. Mm -hmm. And you're continually banking with real estate. With the real estate. Yeah, Yeah. Okay. So, some are paid off. Most are financed, and then there's equity harvesting, you know, however you want to term it, cash out refis, right? Because loans are not taxable because it's not income. Okay, so you have all of these, you know, a couple hundred doors, and I know, I don't care, move the digits around, 20 homes, doors, two doors, whatever. So you move from... You know, the uh, 80-20 rule, you know, the uh, you know 80-20 loan-to-value ratio. <clears throat> it's like, now you're an investor. So now we're only going to get 50% mm. or 60%. And I need to see the last two years' tax returns, and I need to see all the updated taxes, and then we'll go through, you know, the underwriting of the loan, and then I'll put it before the board, and 
Then it's like, if anything changes, you're going to have to update your pro forma. You're going to have to update your taxes. It's almost like they don't want to give capital to the most economically legitimate people. What? But to the ones who are totally financially incompetent, oh my gosh. Just take, take it all. Zero percent interest, man. Just sign One percent down payment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wonder why. Hmm. Yeah. Is that house fully collateralized? Mm. Hmm. I don't know. It's, it's To me, what I have experienced and what I have come to believe and learn is you know nelson said it's true that this is caught more than taught Mm. right yep it is more caught than taught and and so there was a a criticism that we've received in the past that we're not systematic enough you know and and you know there we have we have something for that there's a book review five-part book review first of its kind long you know how many book reviews are out now yeah wonder why being created yeah but that's available, right? Page by page, very systematic, thorough review of Nelson's Becoming Your Own Banker. This is much more free form. And it gives us the opportunity to discuss things that, uh, one, we don't have another venue to do it in, and also is not being discussed elsewhere, right? The, the idea that we're going to reframe how to think about financial philosophy in terms of capital, that's, no, that's nowhere else. The relationship between capital and opportunity, the only other place that is in Nelson's Becoming Your Own Banker. Right. Uh, the idea that we're going to examine some of the illicit sales practices that go on between quote unquote fee only people and then, you know, smuggling in the sale of a commission product. That's nowhere else. Right. So this, you know, yes, it's it's more free flowing, uh, but it gives us the opportunity to publicize some things that yeah, don't, otherwise people wouldn't find. Don't jump over going back to to the simplicity of what Nelson did. Right. right? Because without getting you know, lost in illustrations and third-party software, you know, spreadsheets, Excel, and all those things that focus on the rate of return and promote dependency, yep. not only on bankers, third-party lenders, but it promotes, coddles, endorses, confirms, solidifies the dependency upon those tools. Right. Right. Nelson never taught that. Nelson never advanced those ideas, ever. Very simple. Pay a premium. Pay a premium. These life insurance policies are designed for premium to be paid. Okay, it's that simple. So if it's good, and it is, why would you want to limit what you put in? You wouldn't. Okay, and, and, and that brings me, you know, to some conversations that I've had recently, you know, the universal life, all right? And I'm, I'm explaining to these very um, able, capable individuals like all of our listeners are, yep. okay? Universal life, or let me, let me say, dividend-paying whole life didn't exist a policy didn't exist until you purchased it. Once you've purchased it, it becomes in existence. Mm -hmm. And it is more efficient every year that it exists. And the more premium you pay, the better it is. Just by the mere design, you can't do any, you, it would be, you'll be hard pressed to break it. Yep. Okay. All right. So if that's true, and it is, and it may take some time and, and some research to see that or figure that out, but once you see it, you can't unsee it, and once you, once you see it, you embrace it. Okay, you compare that to universal life. 
didn't exist until you signed the dotted line, paid a premium, and created it. The further it goes out, the longer that it exists, it becomes less efficient by the mere existence because of the design. You can talk about illustrations all you want. You can use third-party examples and manipulate numbers to, to present uh, confusion, right? All you want to. Those two fundamental facts remain, and you cannot change them. Life insurance issued by dividend paying or by mutual companies, dividend paying life insurance issued, issued by mutual companies. And, and when I say design correctly, I'm not talking about mutilating the policy, okay, at all, which is what goes on. All right. It gets better by the mere existence. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can, you can break it, but it's difficult. You have to make an effort to break that. Yep. The existence of universal life gets less and less efficient by its mere existence. That's the point. Yeah. I told a conventional advisor once, I was like, oh, it's a term replacement. And he's what? I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's going to diminish at some point, right? That, that, you're going to use that cash value to pay for the death benefit. Eventually, that's not even going to be enough. So the cash value, it's not cash value. I'm sorry. The account. cash account will quote unquote account value will diminish (laughs) and then once you've exhausted that then the death benefit is going to go down what oh hmm. wait the death benefit is going to go down and it won't produce that tax-free income for life Uh, somebody's going to be disappointed and it won't be the life insurance company because that's one of the most profitable products they have on their books yeah think that through i ask them all the time all right the actuaries which is more profitable term or universal life and you talk about squirm oh my gosh (laughs) All right, and they really don't know, yeah, right, because they're both extremely profitable. Right. So it's which do they write the most of is really what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. Now think about that: if the company's profitable, the advisor and the agent is profitable. There's only three parties in this entity, <laughs> or this arrangement, or this relationship: the consumer, the purchaser, the individual that's paying the premium. The agent, the advisor that's getting paid to put that in existence, and the life insurance company that created the product and is standing behind all the guarantees. All right, listen. The consumer's paying for all of it. The consumer pays for everything. And and, and, and going back, I, I, I'm a capitalist. I believe in profits. Yeah. I love profits. Um, but not at the expense of someone else. Yeah, the way I put it is there's a difference between profiting and profiteering. And you can go work somebody over and call it a profit all day. That doesn't make it a legitimate transaction. <laughs> Good point. I you know? It. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Captain Jack Sparrow. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, listen, I, you know, uh, I'm good. Yeah, we covered I a lot. Fun. We covered a lot. Right, thanks for listening. We had fun. Hope you had fun. And we'll see you next time. Bye, y'all. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.